A few years ago, I heard this old Chinese story about a farmer and his son. The farmer had a beloved horse who helped the family earn a living. But one day the horse ran away. So the neighbours came round and said, that's terrible. But the farmer said, maybe. A few years, a few days later, the horse returned, leading a few wild horses back to the farm as well. Again, the neighbours came around and said, that's great. But the farmer replied, maybe. Later that week, the farmer's son was trying to tame one of the horses, but it threw him to the ground, breaking his leg. Again, the villagers came around. That's awful, they said. But the farmer replied, maybe. A few weeks later, the soldiers from the National Army marched through the town, recruiting all the able-bodied boys for the army. But they didn't take the farmer's son, because he was still recovering from his broken leg. His friends shouted, that's great. But the farmer replied, maybe. Now, it's just a story. And people have, all ta- have taken all sorts of strange and wrong conclusions from that kind of story. But it's the kind of story that resonates with people because we've seen this kind of thing happen in our own lives. Sometimes bad things happen only for good to come out of it. In other times, good things happen only for the consequences to be terrible. And we can see this kind of thing happen in the Bible as well, in the lives of the people that are recorded in the Bible. Good can come from bad events and bad can come from good. But the Bible teaches us a deeper truth about the good and the bad events in our lives. It declares that in all of these circumstances... Good and bad. God is always at work. And God is always working for the good of his people. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 verse 28, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. And I think this principle is powerfully demonstrated in the aftermath of the miracle that we looked at last week. If you remember, Lazarus had fallen ill. So Mary and Martha had called for Jesus. But after delaying for two days, Jesus eventually travelled to them. But it looked like it was too late. Lazarus had died and had been buried. But in an amazing demonstration of his power and his identity as the resurrection and the life, Jesus called Lazarus out of that tomb, raising him from the dead. Now, I think if this had been a a Hollywood movie, at that moment the screen would have faded to black and the screen, the, the credits, would have started to roll. The crisis was over, the victory was won, and they all lived happily ever after. But that wasn't the end of the story. And we'll pick it up at verse 45 of John chapter 11. So John chapter 11, verse 45. This is immediately after the raising of Lazarus. (coughs) Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. 
But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for the nation, that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region. He withdrew to a region near the desert, to a village named Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus and they stood in the temple area. They asked one another, What do you think? Is he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they may arrest him. The raising of Lazarus was the sixth and the penultimate miraculous sign in John's Gospel. And as we've seen, these miracles were not just an expression of Jesus' compassion for people in need. They were signposts pointing to his power and his identity. As Peter declared on the the day of Pentecost, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. And many of the people who had come to that funeral in Bethany responded to this sign. They saw this miracle. They accepted what it was pointing to. And they trusted in Jesus. Verse 45, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. And so this good thing that happened to Lazarus led to something so much better and greater in the lives of many others. Lazarus, he was raised from the dead. He was rescued from the tomb and his physical life on earth was extended. But as a result... People saw the reality of who Jesus is. They believed in him and so they received eternal life. The abundant life of of a relationship with God that would start there and then and that would go on, not just for a few more years, but for all eternity. So in fact, this is the greater miracle in this chapter. Lazarus being raised from the dead was amazing. 
people being saved was far more wonderful. And this is the ultimate reason why Jesus performed these miracles. And this is the reason why they're recorded in John's Gospel. Remember our kind of theme verse for this, this, this study of John's Gospel? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so these days in our church, we still pray for the miraculous healing of bodies and minds. We still believe in the power and ability of Jesus to bring physical and emotional restoration. And when we see God work in power, we'll rejoice that God is among us. But even when we do not see this happen as much as we long for, we can remember that the greatest of all miracles is when somebody is brought to faith in Christ. When they're called out of darkness into his wonderful light. When their sins are all forgiven. When they're adopted into God's family. When they're rescued from death. And brought into life. In all its fullness. But unfortunately, not everyone who saw or who heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead responded in faith. Not everybody did. Look at verse 46. But some of them, some of the people who were there, seeing, uh, witnessing this, res- this miracle, went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. These people witnessed this amazing miracle But instead of accepting Jesus as their Messiah and their Lord, they went back to their religious leaders. Now John didn't exactly tell us explicitly why they did this. It's possible that they did this because they wanted to let the Pharisees know about what Jesus had done so they could change their mind about Jesus. That's possible. But it seems very unlikely from the context. Instead, it seems more likely that these men went to inform on Jesus. Instead of turning to Jesus, they turned to his enemies. And to help them in their fight against Jesus. Sometimes we might long for these days of the, of the New Testament. When miracles more regularly were seen. They would be exciting. They would be wonderful days. And we might think that if people today could only see God's power and God's love revealed in this way, then surely they'd drop all their doubts and they would drop all their resistance to the gospel and they would come to faith in Christ. Maybe you've even heard that. If God just worked in more miracles, then more people would trust in Jesus. But that's not always the case. As Abram said in Jesus' parable of the rich man and another guy called Lazarus, Abram said this, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises 
from the dead. And that's what these people did. They saw Lazarus walk out of his tomb. And still, they did not believe. So these people told the Pharisees. And in response, the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. That 70 strong central court of the Jews. There they expressed their frustration and their fear. Look at verse 47. What are we accomplishing, they said. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. They realized that their approach to Jesus wasn't working. They had confronted him. They'd challenged his teaching. They'd tried to discredit him. But it hadn't worked. He was still doing miracles. And more and more people were believing in him. And they were afraid that as a result, the Romans will come, this is verse 48, and take away both our place and our nation. They were afraid that there was going to be a a popular uprising. And that would be ruthlessly put down by the Romans. And in retaliation, the Romans would come and they would take away their temple. And destroy their nation. And that would have been a tragedy to them. But not because they were concerned about God's house. And God's people. Or about how this would impact the honour for God's name. Did you notice what they called the temple there? Our place. And the nation? Our nation. Not God's house. Not God's nation. For them, this was personal. They were frustrated because they were concerned about how the how Jesus could destroy their position and their privilege. This is what Pilate understood at Jesus' trial. He said he knew that it was out of envy that they'd handed Jesus over to him. Out of jealousy, out of envy. That's what they did. They were supposed to be men of God. But they had no interest in whether this miracle validated who Jesus really was or what he was doing. Instead, they were just focused on how it threatened their self-interest. And this led them to a violent decision. Look at verse 53. From that day on, they plotted to take his life. Jesus had done something amazingly good. He had raised a dead man to life. He had brought comfort and joy to a despairing family. He would led people to faith in him so that they could experience eternal life. And yet the consequence of this amazing miracle was that it stirred up so much controversy and animosity and hatred towards them that it convinced these religious leaders to conspire to execute 
bad came from good. And it actually wasn't a, just a threat to Jesus and his life. So many people were trusting in Jesus because of Lazarus having been raised to life. That look at, If you look at verse, chapter 12, verse 10, it says there that the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. People were so impressed by the fact that Lazarus had been raised from the dead that the chief priests were trying to bump him off again. And as a result of all this threat, look at verse 54, look at the other consequence. Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. He said he withdrew to a region near the desert, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. The ministry of Jesus was restricted because of this. The impact of his life on other people was, was limited and was reduced. The building of God's kingdom was constrained. All because Jesus had done this amazing good in Lazarus' life. And of course this didn't just remain a conspiracy, a threat. This threat against Jesus ultimately did become a reality. The Sanhedrin got their desire fulfilled. And just a few months later, these men would organise Jesus' arrest. They would find him guilty in an illegal trial. They would hand him over to Pilate. They would demand his crucifixion. The miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead set off a sequence of events that led to Jesus going to the cross. Some people teach that if we live a good life, if we trust in God, if we walk in His ways, if we obey His commands, if we do good to others, then good things will always happen in our lives. On on earth. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. From this amazing good act of love and power came such horrendous bad. Now following Jesus, of course, means that we're called to do that good. We're supposed to live our lives for the benefit of others. Reach out and help them and express God's love to them. But we shouldn't be surprised when we suffer in this world as a result. In fact, Peter said that that's what we were called to in following Jesus. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. In this world, bad often comes from good. And yet, that's not the full picture of what was happening here. There's good news in this as well. 
the high priest at that time was a guy called Caiaphas. He was somebody who had been appointed by the Roman procurator. In the middle of the Sanhedrin, Caiaphas spoke up. Verse 50. You know nothing at all. You do not realise that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Now Caiaphas, he was not a man of God at all. You even tell the kind of man he was by the way he expressed contempt for the other members of the, the Sanhedrin they're saying that they know nothing at all. And as for Jesus, well Caiaphas saw Jesus as completely expendable. In his eyes, he was insignificant. An insignificant man who should be killed in order to maintain the favour of the Roman Empire. For him, it was a simple matter of maths. Much better that one man should die rather than the whole nation be destroyed. And yet, unknown to him, or to any of his listeners, Caiaphas had actually spoken words of prophecy. Look at verse 51. As high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Without realising it, Caiaphas had pointed to the deeper meaning of Jesus' death. On the cross, one man would die for many. Jesus would die as a substitutionary sacrifice. Not just for the people of his own nation, but for the sins of the whole world. For Christ died for sins once and for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. And the the result of his death would be the saving of sinners. And the uniting of all of the people of God from all of the nations of the world. Both Jew and Gentile down through the ages into the community of God's adopted children. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Jesus would destroy that dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile that had been there for centuries. This time of, of year is the, is the anniversary of the breaking down of the Berlin Wall. I don't know if you've noticed. 30 years ago. I can't imagine it's that long. Huh? 30 years ago, that, that divining wall of hostility was broken down and East and West Berlin were, were reunited. This is a far greater miracle. A dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile that would have kept us as Gentiles, out of God's kingdom forever, has been broken down. And God has made one nation, a holy nation, from all people who have trusted in Jesus. It's an amazing thing that Caiaphas said. But 
he didn't have a clue. He really didn't know any of this. He didn't know that he was speaking about the one who would be the fulfillment of all of the sacrifices that he had presented in the temple as high priest. He didn't know that as the time of the Passover was coming, he didn't know that Jesus was the ultimate Passover lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Caiaphas, he was just speaking out of self-interest and pride. He was just plotting to ruthlessly get rid of a threat to his own position and privilege. And yet, through his evil, God was fulfilling his wonderful plan of salvation. Caiaphas was doing bad. But through it, God was doing the most amazing good. And this is actually what later encouraged the apostles when they were confronted by evil in their lives. When Peter and John were threatened themselves by this Sanhedrin, never to speak about Jesus ever again under threat of death, they went back to the other, other believers and they gathered to pray. And the prayer is recorded in Acts chapter 4. It's an amazing prayer. But verse 27 says this. In, the, in their prayer, this is what they said. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand would happen. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand would happen. They were doing it out of their their evil, their sin. And yet God had planned all along. So even in that dangerous and difficult situation that they found themselves in, They could rest and they could rejoice in God's sovereignty. They could look back at the cross and see how God had worked in power to use the evil actions of these leaders to accomplish so much good. And this encouraged them that God was able to do the exact same in the struggles and the difficulties that they were going through. In that moment. It's also this principle that helped Joseph make sense of all his suffering that he went through in his life. You remember that he was being he was sold into slavery, into years of slavery by his brothers. Joseph could say this You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives Joseph could look back and see that God had always been working for his good even through the harmful actions of his brothers 
And it is this principle that Paul encourages us to hold on to in our lives. To help us to get through the difficult times that we go through in our lives. So in his letter to the Corinthian church, in the second letter, chapter 4, verse 17, he says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now he calls them light, he calls them momentary, not because he didn't really understand how much people could suffer. For him, light and momentary included being, being, uh, being flogged five times over with 39 stripes, included being stoned, included being shipwrecked, included being arrested, imprisoned, rejected, ridiculed, even by his Christian brothers. And it went on for years. So he was saying light and momentary, not because they were easy, not because they weren't terrible, but because in comparison with the glory that's to come, they pale into insignificance. Because the glory that's to come outweighs them so much. And their glory is eternal. So this doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that we should never struggle or we should never express pain or or grief. We saw that last week in, in John chapter 11. But it means that no matter what happens in our lives, we do not need to despair. We can continue to trust that God is always working for our good. Even in the most difficult times. God is the one who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. One of the songs that we sing at kids clubs says this. I'm not going to sing it to you or do the actions. I'm just going to say it to you. It says this. Sometimes good things happen. God is there. Sometimes bad things happen. God is there too. Good or bad, happy or sad, I know that God is there. In our lives, when good things happen, we can rejoice in them. We can thank God for them, knowing that He is there and He is working for our good in those good things. But equally, When bad things happen, we don't need to panic. Because we understand that doing good and experiencing God's presence doesn't prevent bad things from happening in our lives. But more than that, when we experience those bad times, we can look back to the cross. And we can remember that no matter what happens in our lives, God is working for our good. For the good of those who love him. For the good of those who have been called according to his purpose.